Welcome to the Sausage Factory. So this is our regular look at the world of content marketing. We're going to be celebrating the good and shining a light on the what could be better with the single aim of encouraging the world to make better content. So let's give you some introductions. I'm Matt Laybourne. I'm a performance marketer and the founder of Rocky, which is a content feedback platform. And I'm Mark Willis, creator, director, copywriter, and resident sausage enthusiast. So together we're going to be grinding the good, bad and unidentifiable into 20 minute content sausages for you every single month. And today in the Sausage Factory, we're joined by copywriter and content marketer extraordinaire, Jess Crandon of Salesforce. We'll be talking to Jess about her journey in content, finding out what it takes to make good content. And of course, we'll be getting her to share an example of great content in Matt's Bangers and some not so good content in Sausage of Death. So first off, welcome to the Sausage Factory, Jess. Thank you. And thank you for having me. This is very exciting. We're delighted to have you on. For our listeners, let's give a bit of an introduction to Jess. I mean, these are our words on you. Feel free to correct us if you think it's wrong, but... You're a seasoned B2B writer, a content marketer. So your experience is broad and deep. You've worked at some incredible agencies like Velocity Partners, TMW Business, and Just Global. You've also done the client side side of things, working for likes of Microsoft and Salesforce. And that's obviously where you are now, where your responsibilities for making great content and incredibly traveling the world. So a tiny bit of inside info for everyone. Mark has hired Jess three times in her career. He's probably going to try and do it at least two or three more times after this because she's very, very good at what she does. Jess, we're delighted to have you on. How have we got on with the intros? Does that do you justice? <laughs> God, I mean, that really does highlight the uh, the amount I move around. <laughs> no, that is very kind. Thank you. So shall we get into it? Before we go to the blend, which is our interview section, we have the most important part of the show, clearly, which is... The Sausage Quiz. Now, for those of you who haven't encountered the Sausage Quiz before, it's a three-part quiz that gives us unparalleled insight into the soul of our guest, or maybe just their sausage preferences, if people have sausage preferences. So, Jess, are you ready for this? We can dive straight in. Okay, let's do it. So, first off, what's your favourite type of sausage? Okay, so I feel this question might get me kicked out, but I really hate sausages. <laughs> no, that's right. End, 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 end the show. End the show. Okay. okay. But I do love a cocktail sausage, but I don't know if they actually count like proper like. Yes, a sausage, absolutely fine. So, do you have a favourite sausage-based dish, or is the sausage just going to ruin an otherwise tasty dish? Yeah, it will. I'm afraid it ruins family barbecues even now to the point that my dad has known me for 32 wow. years and still asks if I want a hot dog. And I'm like, Dad, the answer hasn't changed for 32 years and three months. This is taking a turn for the controversial, which is, you know, what the sausage <laughs> quiz is here, here to do. It kind of feels redundant, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you have a preferred meat percentage if you are going to eat a sausage, Jess? I would say like zero percent because I do love like a vegan Greg sausage roll and then even like cocktail sausages I feel probably are only floating around at like the four percent meat content I reckon probably a lot of plastic in there yeah I would say max four percent this is all great information I can see from Matt's face that this feature is probably going to be cancelled soon so it's good to go out <laughs> on a controversial high I'm, I'm utterly delighted at some of the early data that we're getting on there <laughs> 
meat percentage of four percent. I dread to think what that four percent even consists of. If I'm honest. First of all, thank you, Jess. Thank you for indulging Mark and his soon-to-be-retired feature at the beginning of this show. It's interesting because there's going to be a really good infographic at some point which explains all of this. So let's get, let's get into the main bit of it. So this is the section that we call the blend and we like really get into the details of it. So I'm going to kind of just go straight into your, your relationship with content marketing. How did this journey start for you and, and who and what has influenced you along the way? The journey very much started entirely accidentally. I had no idea that copywriting was a job, therefore had no idea that content was a thing, really. I was working for Screaming Frog as an SEO person and a couple of days in, our freelance writer let us down on a blog post we were meant to be doing and and my boss was like, hey Jess, you did English literature at university, you know, give it a crack, write me 300 words on why should you use a business card or something. And I did, and he was like, oh, this is quite good. Do you want to just do this? And I was like, where's the scam? Why are you really going to pay me to like write? Like really? Like, I don't understand this. And I went from there. So started off as a, yeah, as a copywriter. And then through that, I think just learned more about content marketing at Velocity. I got more into like the strategy side of stuff. So working on like brand positionings, content strategy. And so it's really been a very like trial and error career, I would say, of going okay, do these words work? And then when you figure out what words work, then being like, oh, well, look at the broader aspect. Like, what's the format? What's the strategy? Who's the reader? What's the goal? How are sales getting involved? It's been a very accidental career up until this point, which probably I shouldn't say if, if anyone I work with, it's not an accidental career. <laughs> I, I think that the number of copywriters who say they kind of fell into it accidentally is huge and like you fall into it and then kind of develop a, a love for it right i think andrew bolton's kind of talked a lot about that and about kind of making kids in school aware of copywriting as a career yeah 100 percent. it's one of those things it's such an amazing career i mean like it's definitely like the best and worst thing and it's one of those jobs that still doesn't really feel like a job because you're like i just get to make stuff up all day like okay yeah you're within boundaries but you know, essentially your job is just to sit down at a desk and just see what comes out of your head and convince other people that it's good stuff coming out of your head. You know, it's never felt like a job. It has felt hard and terrible at many times, but it's never felt like a, a job. As everything does sometimes, it becomes a bit of a passion. Like on, on that note, what do you tend to enjoy most about creating content? Have you got any like particular highlights or things that you've done along the way that always stand out to you? I guess there's like the two sides of it. So there's like the the projects that have been amazing to work on. So I think the first brand positioning I did the first time I kind of sat down with the CEO and went, I know your business better than you. And this is what I think you should do. And it's like, why is anyone listening to me? Some like idiot in her late twenties that's just got some thoughts and then people take you seriously and it works. That's always been a highlight like that. That kind of really helped me pivot from just being like a straight up copywriter to wanting to get more into the strategic content marketing side and looking at it from that angle the thing I love most I think it's it's when you finally like nail something it's when you finally go like oh this is what like the hero of the story or this is what the reader is thinking at this point in time and like when you finally get into their head and go this is what they want to hear and you make that translation between what your client is saying or what the business is trying to sell and finding that like sweet spot of here's what they want to sell here's what the reader wants to read 
and here's like the mm. fun bit that you can add the creative angle or like the weird thing that nobody's kind of brought up yet that for me is the that's the dream bit yeah it's also like one of the most important bits isn't it we talk about like the audience so much when we're talking about rocky and trying to get a shortcut into what they're thinking is, is kind of the premise behind the product as well but definitely um audience that bit where you kind of feel like you really understand them as you said like crossing over with what you've got to offer yeah if you can kind of stumble upon that that's gold what does that light bulb moment like look like i'm saying this to someone who's not a writer just again for anyone who's listening for the first time i'm i weirdly sit on the other side and just look at numbers and go this is what good is which is funny enough part of the problem (laughs) as a writer when you you know you really describe that nicely that moment where like something really lands and you understand it you've got the story arc and you're happy with it what does that moment of validation feel like is it something that happens particularly or is it just kind of a knowing feeling I mean I think to a certain extent and probably like Mark and other writers will definitely feel this is there is no moment of validation as a writer you are constantly second guessing yourself and being like is this good is this good does this work but there is also a feeling of like beneath the neuroticism you almost feel like imagine you're like walking down the stairs and you know when you like you think there's another step but there isn't and you land really hard imagine that every single step is like that weird step where the step isn't where you think it is I think that moment of when you finally nail it is the step is where you think the step is as you're going through like the process in your head and where like the thoughts kind of clunk into each other before there'd be like a oh god there's not a step there's not a thought and then finally when it does all come together you're like hey this thought goes from one step to the next and I haven't fallen over or Mr. Step. Does that analogy work? I think that's a really weird, confusing analogy, but it's this kind of like when you can read through a piece and you're like, the next sentence is exactly what it should be after the sentence before it. That's when it kind of feels like there's no gaps here. That makes complete sense. Almost that kind of fluency you develop, like you're kind of, yeah, in the mindset of the audience and how to persuade them rather than kind of constantly fumbling for it and it kind of feels easier then as well doesn't it yeah that's it and and I have like a couple of people that I keep in my head and you know especially being at Salesforce I have a lot of people who who use Salesforce I know a lot of, like it's the first thing someone will say to you if you say you work at Salesforce they'll be like I used it or I have used it and they'll tell you everything that they love or don't love about it and I have a couple of those people in my head. So when I'm writing something or briefing something in or reviewing a piece, it's like, could I read this or could I play this to one of those people? And they're going to go, oh, yeah, this makes sense. Or are they going to turn around and be like, oh, marketing. So it's that. Does this stand up to the people who I know will have an opinion on it? Do you know, that reminds me of a conversation we had quite a while ago around what what feedback looks like for you in terms of like your internal process. I might be misquoting you, but like obviously you have to speak to different product managers. You have to speak to sales teams to understand particular features, functionality, what the types of things, the problems that the clients are saying to sales as well. What does that process look like to share your top tips as it might be to try and get that right level of input without misdirecting from how you want to tell the story? For me, and this is like a principle I think I've, lived and died on for like my whole career it's reader comes first audience comes first you can have as many different product marketers product managers sales people 
other marketers in other areas coming at you and saying it needs to say this it needs to say this it needs to say this if that doesn't resonate and if that's not going to land and that sounds like jargon or that sounds like we're trying to put words into someone's mouth then it's like I will use that reader boundary as like a no this isn't in the interests of this reader and I think that's as a writer and as a content marketer that's your fence that's your way of being able to go back to somebody and if you can say like whoever is like your internal stakeholders you can say okay why does this reader care tell me why like why does this person who's never heard of us care about this thing that you want to tell them if they can come back with a really justifiably good reason then I'm like sure okay that can go in the brief or sure yeah we can add that in or that's an acceptable piece of feedback and like Doug Kessler who is one of my absolute inspirations and somebody that you know when I interviewed at Velocity and he interviewed me I was like starstruck it was ridiculous so his piece about stakeholder management has it's just so true and I think one of the biggest responsibilities as a content marketer and as a writer but more so as a content marketer especially in-house is you can have those battles and like you can have those conversations with internal stakeholders and that shouldn't be reflected in your work like in the final piece and I think going into it with a reader first mentality above all else above brand to an extent like I really hope I don't get fired but you know that customer first thing has to come through like it's got to be the number one if the reader doesn't care it's not going in yeah absolutely it's interesting you mentioned Doug there and we probably have similar feelings about Doug although I haven't met him in in person <laughs> but, but Doug if you want to come to the sausage factory you know, you're always welcome it was one of his articles that we talked about loads when in the early stages of Rocky and it was the one probably everybody knows which is the deluge of crap in content marketing and just the proliferation of content that is only really self-serving, doesn't offer any value to the reader. So without trying to lead you at all, bearing in mind that I think Doug's article is about 10 years old now, where do you see content marketing at the moment? I know that's a ridiculously broad question. It feels like such a cop-out answer because I think every year for since ever you could say this, but like we are on the precipice between great and terrible. <laughs> with chat GPT and like you only have to go on LinkedIn for like seven and a half seconds to see a copywriter you know either decrying how a chat GPT will never take their jobs versus a copywriter being like hey we need to upskill in other areas because chat GPT is going to take our jobs I think that gulf between the companies who get it get it and the companies who don't don't will just get bigger you will have companies and you will have mm. brands who go hey I can do copywriting and content marketing for like zero cost because I can just get chat GPT to write it and it's going to be shit and it's going to sound terrible and nobody's going to care and it's just going to sound like a bland robot has written your copy <laughs> and because there's going to be no unique thought no original insight it might not even be factually true if we're looking at some stuff that's been coming out of, of chat GPT and like I think it can be used I saw a post on LinkedIn and I, I can't remember who said this but somebody was putting in there positioning ideas into chat GPT and if it was coming back or I think they put in like the brief and if it was coming back with ideas they were like crossing off their list being like okay if a robot can come up with it then we're not going to present it to the yeah. client and it's like if you can use this in a good way then you're onto a winner if you're using this to write your content then like I hope you get terrible results because it's not the way forward so yeah I think we're really gonna see in like probably the next like year or two what happens to the brands who do outsource everything to a robot versus the brands who 
do take time to go, hey, I'm selling to people. So maybe a person should write the content that's <laughs> on the you'll be reading. <laughs> I'm completely in alignment on that. Like it, it feels like, you know, like a, you look at a product art curve or something like the adoption of content marketing, what, 15, maybe a little bit longer years ago. And like the level of adoption of companies doing it. And then the last five years has been a race to production. Like who can produce more, who can produce it quicker, who can dominate cert pages. And now it feels like, yeah, we're at the top of the mountain of it. Like there is literally only downhill from here because the gold rush, you know, there's no more gold. I'm, I'm really mixing up my analogies here. And I apologize for you, but there ain't no more gold in the mine. Um, things like Google, they will eventually start turning around and going, look, we're just being flooded. We have to find a way of like working our way through this. And like a lot of thought is now going, they are already saying it's reader first, like put your reader first, how they decide what reader first looks like, what metrics that go into that is going to be really interesting. And they're keeping like, they're keeping their cards close at the moment, which is absolutely fair enough. There's this dominance at the moment to chase volume. So like I can make as much content as I can and I want as much volume of traffic to my site. It almost is irrelevant what happens next, like to a lot of people. It's like quite a single-minded metric, which is kind of illogical as to what content is supposed to do in, in influencing people. For you and like, you know, the type of customers you're dealing with and events and stuff, like what, is, what does good content look like for you? What are the defining characteristics that you, you keep an eye out for? I think it's, yeah, it's a couple of things. It's firstly like looking at the broader picture of like how all of the content across the year and across all of our different buyers, across all of our different products. Yeah, obviously at Salesforce, we have a huge, huge number of different products, different buyers, different industries, and everything is like highly matrixed to a certain extent. And it's being able to take that step back and first go like, okay, who is going to be consuming this content and how are they going to be doing it and where and how much they know about Salesforce? You know, we've got the people who are like, you know, our trailblazers, they love Salesforce. They are our best, best storytellers. Like they're the ones that I'm like, I can outsource my job to you and you will do it a billion times better because you're telling like a story that matters and you're using the language that, you know, we as copywriters have to work very hard to emulate and to pick up on and you're just doing it, you know, off the cuff and, and that's amazing. And it's, and then you have people who are completely new to Salesforce, like the region I work in, it's a growth market. Salesforce isn't as well known, of course, in the UAE as it is in the UK or in the US, of course. So it's, you're really being able to work with like brand awareness and building like, what does Salesforce mean there? And so it's like looking at it from like a very, okay how is someone going to do this? Is it going to be at an event? In which case we have to make sure that the content is helpful for somebody who wants to come and learn how to, you know, improve their marketing or like level up their service game. But then it's also got to be able to introduce Salesforce in a way that isn't going to bore somebody if they know Salesforce really well. But outside of that good content for me, it's got to fit the purpose. Why are you creating like a 25 page ebook for like an awareness campaign? If somebody's never heard of you and they really want to dedicate that much time to sitting through and reading that much from you but if you're at the consideration end 25 page ebook it's probably going to be great because you can get into all that detail so it's understanding the format and the purpose above all else and that's before you even get into like how well it reads and how unique it is and all that it's definitely taking that big step back and really analyzing like why am I doing this what's the point of it and it's really being like super self-critical is it a vanity piece is it because you've got some budget and you want to do something cool but it's who is your audience? How do they want to read this? How well do they know you? 
and what do you want out of it? And if you can tick those boxes, or if you've got an answer to all of those questions, then you've got a good piece of content. As we kind of alluded to earlier on, there's so much not so good content out there as well. What do you think kind of leads to that kind of bad content? You know, there's lots of articles and people like us talking about the things that make good content. Why do you think it's not as prevalent as it perhaps should be? I think a big bit is stakeholder management, having been both sides of the table. As a client-side marketer, if you do not have control and a good way to manage your stakeholders, that piece of work is going to be terrible. You need to go into the briefing process knowing exactly who needs a say and how important they are, who has approval rights versus who gets to check technical detail, but nothing else instead of going like, sure, Mr. Engineer, you have a say on how the tone of voice sounds. Mm. Everybody needs to have their set boundary and what they are looking at and having that really strict feedback process. I think every writer and probably most marketers can recognize a piece of work that is 7 billion miles away from the original brief or when a copywriter has just sat there and gone like exceptional <laughs> changes without, you know, even bothering. And so I think first thing is get that stakeholder management under control, understand who you really have to please and who you can kind of like take the advice of, but push back against, choose the battles that, you know, you can win and lose the ones in order to win the war at the end. You know, I think as a writer, especially, I would have really petty battles with clients over nothing. (laughs) And then when there is something that really matters, you're like, oh God, I've used up all my arguing. So it's... (laughs) (laughs) I think bad content is caused by people going after volume like Matt like you said we just need to get this out there like churn we need to be doing like 50 SEO articles a week because otherwise how will anyone know we're here like it's that not having a really clear purpose and then not having control over stakeholders internally there's lots of really interesting like nuggets there that you've given out as to how you manage the process up front in terms of feedback from internal external stakeholders when the content has come out the other side of the machine how do you kind of retrospectively go back look at it and go this worked this didn't work this landed this resonated what tools and tips have you got for that side of things yeah i think as a writer it's being really close to like your performance marketing team and making sure there's that open feedback loop and being able to say every writer is given a brief and it's like Give us six subject line options to test with, but very rarely do you get the results back of those of those subject lines. And I think internally as an agency or as a freelancer, if you can start building a bank and start going like, okay, well, I know that the subject line with a question in has worked on like 15 different pieces of work versus the subject line without a question or something. It's like if you're working with a, a separate dem gen team or somebody who's looking after your metrics make sure you're so so tightly aligned to them so they can tell you this worked like this with the graphic worked this whatever really knowing that and then i think what you guys are doing with rocky is actually game changing and having the audience actually turn around and say hey this really helped or hey this was really terrible or this really missed the mark or like why didn't you bring this in and then of course there's the qualitative feedback from sales I think that's always really helpful if if someone from sales turns around and says like you know hey that customer story that you created just got us a deal across the line or um this format is super helpful like it's great to have quotes blah blah blah. having that and knowing how they're using it in situ that definitely all comes back in it's not being afraid to ask for feedback on the results as well I think and not being afraid to change it if it doesn't work I think that's a really important point actually is that something when Matt first told me about 
rocky. You kind of go, as a writer, you go, oh, great, people give me feedback on my work. And then you go, oh, shit, more people are going to give me feedback on, on my work. It's something like that, kind of embracing that kind of mentality of, of like, accepting, actually, even if somebody does tell me that this thing doesn't work, that's a good thing, because then I can fix it and put out something that does work which then becomes quite liberating as as well when you kind of almost that kind of fail fast kind of mentality that you have in dev and things like that and applying that to writing. It's how I, I got past my fear of the book anyway. Keep reassuring myself with that sentiment. I really love that last point you had there as well about getting sales feedback. That gets overlooked so often because that's kind of almost the ultimate validation in two respects. One of which is if the client's saying, do you know what, I really liked that piece of content. That means you're answering the problem that they had. That's the reason they got in touch. That's huge. So that's a huge form of validation. And the fact that it's also bottom of funnel, it's helping convert into opportunities. That's kind of the job that we're supposed to be doing, not just creating likes, not just creating traffic through to a website that doesn't go anywhere. Like, so that's, that's massive. Being close with your sales team is like one of the most important lessons I've learned over like the last couple of years. They know the customer, they know the prospects so inside out. They just have the information that every corporate wishes they had in their brain. And it's like, speak to them. Like, yeah, sometimes you have to translate it out of sales speaking into normal speak, but get them on side. It should never be this marketing versus sales. There's always like the jokes and the memes about it, but it's like, you've got to work together. If you want to be like a high performing marketing team, you've got to have sales inside and you've got to be totally aligned to what your sales leaders are trying to do. Because if you're chucking out content with one message and sales are like, hang on, we're trying to push this product or we're trying to sell this, it's never going to work. You don't want sales to be, you know, dictating your strategy and, and saying what passes as good content. Your content has to reflect exactly the conversations that your sales team want to have in the market. So at every point your reader is seeing, well, I've just had an email from a sales guy about X product. I've just seen a LinkedIn post about X product. I'm just going to watch a, a video or listen to a podcast about X product. You know, it, it's all that like super consistent across every, every touch point. Jess, that was incredible. There's so many insights there. I've got like 101 notes already that I want to like write down and start thinking about different things. So that was amazing. I think we're going to take a pause for a quick commercial message otherwise known as a shameless plug for Rocky, a chance for Matt to indulge his drama GCSE, potentially. But we'll come back to you in a second and talk good content in Matt's Bangers. Peter, don't worry. It, it happens to everyone once in a while. But it keeps happening to me. I don't know what's wrong with me. Now, come on, Peter. Peter, move your hands, move your hands. Let me have a look at it. Oh, that, that, that is bad. But don't worry, it's just one bad content score. And look, with Rocky, there's, there's some constructive feedback as well from your audience. Now, I'm sure if you follow that, you'll get a much bigger score next time. Thank you, Margaret. What would I do without you? If I could give you a content score, I'd give you at least three out of five. Thank you, Peter. How kind of you. 
Now, wasn't that nice? I hope you all enjoyed that little advert. And again, if you have your own ideas for little ads or you want to contribute a little ad for us as well, do get in touch, contact details at the end of the show. Now to wrap things up, we're going to go through Matt's bangers. That's the section of the show where we showcase a piece of content that we love. And this week, Jess, it's over to you. What are one of your favourite pieces of content and why did it work so well? Okay, so this piece of content I first came across about two, three, four years ago, I reckon. Four years ago, pre, pre-pandemic, which feels like, yeah, a lot longer. It doesn't sound like the most exciting piece of content, but it is a an ultimate guide to building a business case. This was created by... I really probably should have checked the name of the company, but I'm pretty sure it's Juro. They're a law law tech startup type, and they created this amazing piece of content. It's massive. It's super long, but it's the most in-depth piece of content I've ever seen. And it talks the reader through exactly how to put together a business case for buying a piece of technology. And it goes into all the exact details you need. It has examples. It tells you who needs to be involved at every single stage. And when I tell you like, I probably came across as a bit of content being like, I don't actually know what business cases, right about business cases, still still not 100% certain what it is. I think after having <laughs> read this ebook, I was like, I'm actually looking forward to writing a business case. I want to write a business case so I can put all of this information to use. And it was just the detail that it went into, the way it like literally sat you down. And like I was sat there thinking like, if I was somebody interested in this piece of technology, and I wanted to pitch it to my CFO, my CIO, my CEO, I now know how to do that. And it just ticked every, and it was long, like, don't get me wrong. It's a long piece of content, but I was like, for the sake of signing, giving away my email address, it was that like, you have got so much value and and look four years later, I don't even know if it's still live anymore. You know, it's that, that it has stayed with me and every content strategy I've ever made, I've tried to sell in a version of this to clients because I'm like, not only am I inspired to create a business case, I now want to write a guide to writing a business case. You know, it just, yeah, it, this is the nerdiest thing I've maybe ever said. And, and and this is, <laughs> this guide Don't, don't worry, it's all recorded, so we'll come back. To it for you. Um, it's just, it's just fantastic. I actually like follow the head of content at Juro on LinkedIn and I always like his post and I must come across as like an absolute stalker, but I'm like, you created, I don't even know if he created the thing, but either he or someone in his team or his predecessor created this, this thing. And I'm like, it's just fantastic. It's just so valuable. And it looks good as well. It was a nicely designed piece of content too. Good pieces of content do stay with you though. Matt and I had a similar experience to you. In, um, in fact, I've found this tone of voice kind of guide a long piece of content and again it was exactly what I needed at the time written with like the audience in mind completely valuable and we ended up talking to them about their I think it was like style guide and software and that was probably about four or five years ago I'm still reference it to this day he he never bought the software it was quite expensive We've done a Matt's banger. That means we've got to do a sausage of death. So we know, obviously, for every Matt's banger out there, there is at least one sausage of death. I'm not sure of the exact ratio. A quick reminder of what a sausage of death is for people who are wondering. 
Danish slang. Something that's really boring is Doden's Pulsar, apparently. I forget how we came across this, but and Doden's Pulsar means sausage of death. So it's our nice, uplifting way of, of finishing the show by getting you to award one horrifically dull piece of content, the SOD moniker. So Jess, have you got a sausage of death for us today? Oh God, I actually have two and I'm going to go with the more difficult one because obviously I started being difficult about sausages so I may as well end by being difficult about sausages as well. I would like to put the Google search results in. I would like to award that sausage of death. I feel we as content marketers have ruined Google search results. I very rarely search for anything on Google anymore because it's just stuff written for SEO. You've got to really hunt for any kind of value and you, you'll you type in like, where can I buy AirPods for cheap or something? And it's like 50 articles telling you where and how to buy, you know, AirPods for cheap, but it's actually like, it's not relevant. It's not specific. It's not helpful. It's just churn. It's just stuff that companies have whacked up there because they want to tick a keyword and, you know, there's very little thought behind it. There's even less empathy or understanding or user journey or you know where are you going next how helpful is this and so I would like to award sausage of death to google search results yeah there's so much space to to be better in content and to give that valuable stuff but it's it's not showing up on page one it really isn't though do you know what as soon as you said that it reminded me I I was been I've been kind of trying to research how to do various like tasks and stuff the other way because i was setting up some like new tech platforms and i'm just like i just want a really good guide that doesn't try and sell me something halfway through and just finding something that isn't just written like really poorly or just with like loads of obvious keywords spammed all over it and you just go from page to page to page and you're like this is terrible but yeah that's a real problem that's a really big shout my second sausage of death goes to, so obviously we want to get away from using ebooks and PDFs and all this kind of stuff and start experimenting with new types of formats. And then I was served a LinkedIn ad that was like how to create like interactive content and like the way to go about creating interactive content. And I was like, cool, because, you know, interactive content is a very broad term. What do you actually mean here? Do you mean like just a web page I can click on? Do you mean a video? Whatever. So I downloaded it. And it was a very uninteractive ebook that literally was just trying to sell a certain product that isn't apparently an interactive way of consuming content, but didn't actually show the interactivity. And it was just like a just come and come and buy a product. And I was like, so you're serving me a static ebook about interactive content yeah. and you're not actually being interactive and I was very disappointed because I kind of came away from that being like interactive content is an ebook interactive content is an ebook with embedded links that will take like just take me to the next page or to the next chapter like I don't know if I fully understand this so yeah um, my second piece goes to a static ebook about interactive content Two very worthy sausages of death there, I think. I'd love to have been in the like the strategy team <laughs> while <laughs> when they did their whole planning, their messaging, personas. Which what format should we deliver this in? And so it's ebook somehow <laughs> one. I love that. I love that. So let's wrap things up. First of all, a huge thank you, Jess, for joining us. Again, lots of incredible insights. It's been super valuable. I hope you've had a lovely time. Thank you for having me on and for letting me just kind of 
monologue about good and bad things in content and hopefully none of us get sued by google if you don't edit that um, <laughs> we, we can only pray let's wrap this sausage up let's get it packed up and get it back onto the shell so in future shows we're going to be continuing to dissect what truly great content looks like with a number of guest experts just like jess if you want to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. So if you have contributions to Matt's bangers or conversely, the, the sausage of death, please do send them over. As always, don't forget to give us your feedback. You can find us on Twitter at Rocky underscore IO. Find us on LinkedIn by searching up Rocky or come through to our website, which is at Rocky.io. Until then, that is all from the Sausage Factory. Thank you so much again to Jess for being on the show. Thank you for listening. As always, don't forget to give us your feedback.